computer. All right. Well, good morning, gentlemen. How are y'all doing this morning? Good morning. Good morning. Doing good. It's been a long time since we saw each other last, right? Yeah. <laughs> Just about yeah, we a few were, hours ago. Yeah, we were stuffing our face, uh, metaphorically speaking. So, absolutely. Well, literally too. Some right. We had those well, good I, yeah, I'll, I'll admit. I'll admit. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, it was a kind of table where you saw it, and I says, "Ooh." I could have one of those. And before you knew it, man, yeah, you were, you were going to have it. You were, uh, it was a gun show trying to, trying to carry that plate around. Right. Right. Well, you got, you got to tell me a little bit about, uh, Karen's world famous punch. Cause April told me, which I didn't get any punch, by the way, it was gone by the time I got down there. I got oh, caught hey. up talking to some people upstairs before I could get down to the fellowship hall and it was gone. But when we were about to leave to go to church last night, April said, make sure you get some of Karen's punch. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, uh, uh some pineapple kind of juice and sherbet and the combination is really good. Now the key there. Uh, and I think a, pot, a lot of people neglected this. The key is just get you a little piece of floating sherbet in there, you know, yeah. kind of like, kind of like an ice float. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it is delicious because you can finish off the drink and then kind of gobble down the sherbet as a kind of a, uh, kind of a deliberate, uh, dessert chaser there. It's wonderful. You sound Wait. like you've done this a few times. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she's, she's, she's punched her way through several of our social engagements. Uh, both church and otherwise through the years. Yeah. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Mike, thank you so much for all the setup you did and everything last oh, night with the fellowship hall. I mean, that was, that was wonderful. It made for just a, a great time and everything was wonderful. I mean, the way dusty and Dawn had coordinated, you know, the, the whole event last night, our, our credit, in case some of you don't know who may be listening. Yeah. We had our Christmas program last night. It was just chock full of truth, the word and, uh, and just people taking their time and their talents and their abilities and just using them for God's glory. And it was just really a wonderful time. I thought. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I, on the, the setup, I, you know, I got to give credit to, to Karen for that. Cause she came up, she beat me up there. Kathleen and I were going to come up there and set up, but she got up there the day before we were planning to do it in setups. But then, you know, the, the oh, really uh, Karen and Kathleen, got together and I don't know if, if I'm not sure if April was part of it, but they, they cleaned that floor, that floor yeah. was in the fellowship hall. And so yeah. Kathleen and Karen did a good job cleaning it. It looked really nice. It did. Wow. It smelled That's really great. good too. Yeah. That's wonderful. You know, we, we have so many people who just serve. I'm, I'm just so thankful to the Lord for that. I mean, so many people just have a servant's heart willing to, uh, to see what needs to be done and, and, and just to do it. And, and yeah. that's just a reflection of, of, of God's grace working in them. So I thank the Lord for that. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, and just last night, uh, we have so much talent. I mean, people have been blessed with so much talent within our, our body. It's, it was just amazing. See the families and, and the, the individual children, I mean, that are going to grow up and mature and develop, maybe hopefully, you know, keep pursuing their skills and just, uh, I mean, I mean, just be, be awesome in the, in the, in their music, their piano playing. I mean, I was, it, I was really, uh, uh, it was a blessing. It was a blessing to, to be part of the service last night. Yeah. I was mm -hmm. telling, I was telling Dan Thomas 10 years ago, we would have struggled to get five children up there. I mean, we'd have, I mean, uh, it, 
you know, constant flow like that. So it was very good. And in terms of just, I agree, I agree with the variety of uh, talents. And I was very encouraged to see the whole family things. Uh, I called, uh, I told Will that they're the Neo Von Trapps. That was good. Yeah. And, and, you know, and Janice working with the kids, you know, during children's church for, for, I think months she's been doing this, you know, and it's uh, been a challenge too, because man, when she's put out the call, I mean, they're, they are really struggling to find a place to to meet, uh, during that time. So again, greater attendance than she's ever had. And it's a, it's a, a problem, but it's a problem. I know that she welcomes. Yeah. Yeah. It's wonderful. Well, guys, why don't we get into what we're looking at today? And I'm telling you, this stuff will break a brain in a heartbeat here, Yeah. but let me just start off by, by reading. I, I just want to read uh, the titles of the chapters. Okay. So the first chapter we're going to look at is God's infinity part one. And the subtitle is incomprehensibility, a saity immensity. And in the next chapter, God's infinity, part two, eternity, infinity with respect to time. And then we have a little excursus, which means we sort of pull oh, to yeah. the side of the road. It's a detour, and, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We kind of talk about a little something. And that this excursus is titled Problems of Time and Eternity. And then the next chapter, our last one we'll look at, is God's immutability, part one, the biblical teaching. So just, just those titles are like, wow. I mean, so many of them have like a lot of syllables and things like that. So, um, so let's get into this. And obviously we are just going to be able to just touch the surface. If even that, uh, we'll, we'll, let's try to, to keep it to, to maybe about an hour or so if we can. And, uh, um, and, uh, I think, I think I got a comment. Who was it? It might've been Phil who said something like, wow, those things are long that y'all do. So, and you know, well, whenever we pack six, uh, six chapters, right. one, we well, and, one, and, I mean, and it's going to be long for those that are listening. If we skip a time, we, uh, particularly with the material we've got, we're not going to double up next time. We're still going to take these small pieces. So particularly on, because we've still got, we have a lot of topics like this coming up and, uh, it really, uh, it really deserves more attention than we can get, like spreading them out. So right. for, you, for you listeners, there is a, there's a respite coming. Right. Which by the way, you know, I don't think as long as we've been doing these, I, I've ever put out like how, you know, what our frequency isn't doing them, but, but just to let right. everyone know, we, we shoot for the second and fourth Monday of every month. And that's when we try to do it. Like Marvin said, we're going to uh, take a break uh, on the fourth Monday, which will be the last Monday of the month, sort of take that off. And then we'll come back and we'll record the second Monday of January. We'll be back on our rotation, second and fourth Mondays of the month. And, uh, but this time we're not going to continue on our reading so that instead we try to do three chapters at a pop. So, but we're not going to do that so that we won't have such a bloated, uh, podcast when we come back in January. So we're just going to go with the next three chapters after the three we look at today. So, so in case you guys were wondering, you know, the three or four people who, who may listen to us, uh, second Monday, of the we, month, we thank you. Monday of the month. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We, we may have more people on this podcast than what actually listen to us. Right. <laughs> you know, that may be the case, but if so, uh, I mean, that, you know, people should understand that the two, the, there's a twofold purpose to this. One is just uh, kind of a uh, 
uh, collegiate uh, between the three of us a discussion about this in terms of, well, we have other reasons for it, but the other part is just putting it out for you to listen if you can benefit from it. So, yeah, absolutely. But our, pro but our primary reason is basically just a, just an internal discussion between the three of us. Right, right. Well, let's get it. Oh, before we get into it, I forgot one, one thing I wanted to ask you guys. I've got like a bone to pick with Crossway, who publishes this book. Is, is y'all's book like creaking and cracking and, and everything? As you Boy, read if yours it? is, it must be cricket. Yeah, I know you got the 45 degree rule. Yeah, you're, you're, you're also doing it, that. It does. It does. Well, I think part of that is just the immensity of the volume. I don't yeah. care. I don't care what kind of binding you do, what kind of glue you do just the sheer weight of what a thousand over a thousand pages, well, yeah. about 1300 yeah. pages, just, <laughs> just, yeah. ju just the sheer weight of that is actually gonna, uh, put a, a lot of, uh, a lot of weight on that spine. So, uh, I agree with you. I wish it didn't do that, but again, understanding the only alternative to that actually we'd be to turn what a four volume series into an eight volume series, just split it up, which would increase the cost. So yeah 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 it's uh mine uh like the the gluing between well what, right. what do they call that marvin where you have signatures they call it signatures yep. where you have a certain amount of pages put together right. and then they sew them into the binding right. so so my sewing is intact but the the glue that holds all the signatures right. together is, is splitting yeah. and giving yeah. away and that's it uh even you know, you, you say, well, why don't they use Gorilla Glue? Okay. That's exactly. But I don't know that we can open the book. Really <laughs> the book uh, we, can, we, can, we can put that. That could be on the infomercial of Flex Seal. Yeah. Will it hold Joe Beakey's systematic yeah, theology right. together to keep it yeah. from falling it, apart? It will, but you can't open it. <laughs> that's right. Okay. All right. Well, let's move from that to, to much, much bigger and much, much better things. So let's talk about... Uh, the first chapter, uh, we're talking about God's infinity and let, let's just, let's just give a definition of that. When we talk about God's infinity, what are we talking about and what are we talking about in distinction from how we picture infinity in relation to created things? What's, what's the, how can we picture infinity in regard to something we know, like, like Beaky brings about mathematical equations, like a, a sequence of something that just runs forever, but how is that different from God? Well, I mean, whenever we talk about infinity, uh, we, my introduction was, it is, it was in a math course in high school. Uh, actually the, there's a little symbol. What is it like, uh, uh an eight lying on its back yeah. <laughs> a symbol for infinity, which basically means, uh, a, a series that has no end. Not by definition, it has a beginning. Uh, otherwise, otherwise it would have no definition. Uh, and so when we talk about that, we usually talk, we're usually talking in series, like something that, uh, that will, that will extend, uh, that will extend out and will have no end, at least conceptually or virtually it will. Uh, when we talk about God, we are kind of list limited by that. And I like what he says there at the beginning of chapter on 639, uh, in the, First, first paragraph on the introduction of God's infinity. He says, people use the word infinity to describe God's superlative greatness. God mm. made our minds capable of conceiving his infinity, at least by negation. We are mm. finite, but he is not. And again, I think that's, 
I think that's the, the beginning of it is to understand that when we talk about God's infinity, uh, we're talking about uh, not only an endless series of integers or an endless series of, of whatever, but we're also talking above that. Um, if we're going to talk meaningfully about God, if we're going to use that analogy, then we have to use negation. In other words, we have to say it's not like that. It's not like an endless series of numbers. And so at that point, then that's helpful for us to lift us out of the mire of the problem we have as created beings and trying to understand that. But at the same time, uh, as Beaky goes on in the chapter, it doesn't, it doesn't really help us. It, it tells us what it's not. It really doesn't tell us what it is. Right. And, and that's where we need the witness of scripture, which he does so well. And by the way, uh, I've, I've read a few theology books. And again, I said this last time and I'll say it again. He does a really good job of taking really, really complex uh, topics and putting them on a lower shelf. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I appreciate that about him. This could be as Van, I agree with you. I mean, it's sometimes it's, it's eye crossingly intense, but uh, I, I can tell you, for instance, if Michael Horton got hold of this, you know, yeah, you, yeah, you hear me, you know what I'm talking about. So that's right. That's right. You take his, uh, his systematic theology. You're about to pass out after the first three chapters. Yeah. I mean, because he's a philosopher as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Mike, let's, let's, uh, speaking about God's infinity and we're talking about how hard it is to understand it. Let's, let's talk about this next section at Beaky talks about how, uh, you know, God's infinity and how, uh, how we, we cannot comprehend that. And, and it, it's interesting at the very, very beginning, he goes back to talking sort of a little bit, uh, about the knowledge of God. And we talked about that before where, uh, the three types of knowledge, uh, that are, that are possible, uh, univocal, equivocal, analogical. And so we said last time, you know, we don't have, uh, univocal knowledge of God. That would be to know God as God knows God. And we surely don't have that, but yet we don't have equivocal knowledge either where we can't know anything about God, but the kind of knowledge we do have is analogical. We, we can know God by way of analogy. In other words, uh, we can know that God is love, but we can't know that God is love the way God knows that he is yes. love. And so and that, but, that, that, that is absolutely a helpful distinction. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought it up to really, it's a grid for us to understand all of these, because really a lot of the theological and philosophical questions we get into really are a matter of language, mm-hmm. uh, trying to describe that, which in some cases is indescribable. Uh, and so at that point, then, um, that is very helpful. That's a very helpful framework in which to understand that. Yeah. So Mike, uh, what, what, what can you comment on with, with incomprehensibility here? I mean, obviously we would all say, man, to that, all of this is hard for us to comprehend. (laughs) Well, I guess I would start, you know, uh, one thing that he, I think throughout the the three chapters, uh, he mentioned, I believe it was in all three, uh, he mentioned to rightly conceive of God, we must follow his word. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'm going to start with going back to, I guess, starting with Psalm 145, verse three, great is the Lord and greatly be praised and great and his greatness is unsearchable. Uh, so um, uh, we will, we, 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 we as a, a finite being uh, will never be able to, to fully comprehend and understand uh, uh I guess the, the ways of, uh, the ways of God, um, he, he, for us to be, I mean, just the, his vastness. I mean, he, he's, 
God always existed there. He had no beginning. He was always there. Well, we're the, we're his creature. We are, we are his creature. So being, being, uh, a, being him, our creator, and we, the creature, uh, that we have a limited, finite uh, knowledge of, of God, or even an understanding. And um, I think that the, um, he says that uh, uh, in the phrase where we talk about the 145.3, um, he quoted uh, the Hebrew phrase translated unsearchable means there is no searching, counting, or full examination. God's worthiness to be praised was far beyond anything we can think of or imagine. imagine. Uh, so we're limited in our understanding and our meaning of, what, of uh, what's been revealed to us. Uh, and we'll never arrive at a, at a, uh, a full uh, meeting in our finite existence. Uh, and even, uh, I mean, it's just, uh, um, how can I say this? Uh, he is himself. He knows himself. We will never know him fully because of our finite and being a, cre a, cre a creature that he created. And, um, and uh, so we will never be able to, I mean, he's just so fast. He, he transcends time. He always was. Uh, he, he always will be. And just, just, I guess it, uh, he uses the analogy, uh, and I think the reason, and I agree with this, the reason why for us to uh, comprehend, be able to comprehend, is we are so, uh, I guess, uh, finite, so small in the, in, 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 in the scheme of everything, if that's the right word to use. He used the analogy of a boy, at a, at a, I think this was in this chapter, a, a child at a, at a, on a beach, using a seashell to dip out water, the ocean. And the boy, and, and when asked what he was doing, he's saying, I'm trying to empty the ocean. And so that's mm -hmm. kind of when we look at God's word and trying to understand God, it's like, we'll never be able to do that. It's like trying to empty the ocean with a, a seashell. And I like that analogy. I mean, it's just, just the vastness. Uh, uh, and the only way we can uh, uh, even gain a, uh, an understanding or start to gain an understanding, but we won't be fully because we're, uh, is, uh, to stay in his, in his word. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so, um, let me see up there. I think I highlighted something else. Yeah. It goes back. God's incomprehensibility teaches us to submit our minds entirely to God's word that we may know the truth about him. And so, I mean, I think that's key. We just need to stay in his word and, they even, and what he reveals to us in the word is only going to be a small fraction of, of, of what he knows of himself. And we need to, when we approach that, we need to remember that. So uh, <clears throat> that's uh, pretty much what I got from the, his, uh, the incomprehensibility of God. We just need to rely on his word and trust in his word. Yeah, yeah. I love what Beaky says. He says, we're talking about God. Why should we expect to fully comprehend him? Yeah. If we did comprehend him, then he would not be God. And then he says, let us learn then to glorify the incomprehensible yeah. God. And, uh, and, and that is something we must do. So Marvin, mo moving from that, uh, let's, let's talk about aseity and, uh, and sufficiency. He, he also uses the word well-being, but right. when you talk about aseity, now you want to talk about something that just boggles the mind. Yeah. I mean, I have no, because when we talk about a Sadie, we're talking about God's self-existence, that God right. is, is uncreated, that he has always existed in himself. He did not even cause himself 
to to come into existence or to have an origin that he already has and and in, in my old 52 years of living i i don't have a category for that i don't have a a concept of that i, I can't I, I can't you know know or have learned about something empirically that is self-existent everything is contingent everything is contingent so so help us out with that how do we uh how do we process that well again i going back to the language aspect of this aseity is something we have to affirm of it because when we talk about god exists uh, that in itself is in our language is a limiting is a limiting concept uh, to say, man, that you exist, Mike, you exist, I exist, is to affirm something about that. In other words, we have something in common. Uh, that is, at this point, we know our heart is beating, our brain is functioning, at least <laughs> at, at, at least operationally <laughs> this time of morning. Uh, but but again, we have all that in common. But again, I mean, there are aspects of your existence that certainly, due to your experiences, that are that are distinguished to you, Van, and to me as well. I mean, we don't live each other's lives. And so that's the question about existence at that point is trying to look at the commonalities of it at the same time, trying to make a distinction. And when we talk about God, um, I think sometimes in our limiting language uh, that, that, as you say, that is a, a concept that evades us. Uh, the point he makes in terms of aseity is uh, that very thing it's a, whenever we talk about God exists, uh, our normal mode of talking about that means that, uh, you had a beginning. I had a beginning, uh, Mike, we all had a beginning. Our mothers and fathers basically through the process of nature gave us a being, we know behind that God does as well. But again, the problem, the problem, the problem we run with God, however, is that, uh, in order to affirm existence of him, it, it to some people, it necessarily implies that he has a beginning, which he doesn't. The point of aseity is that his being is uh, ase, which means uh, 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 in, in itself or uh, or uh, without any other. It says that God's existence is that which just is. And this is a point that he makes again and again. This Bible keeps going back to God's revelation to Moses of himself. Uh, and that uh, when he says, I am, uh, whatever tense we use there, whatever construct we have, it, 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 is, a, it is a state of uh, verb in the sense that um, it, it, is, uh, it, it, des it describes a it describes a state of events. And so at that point, then uh, we talk about God in that sense as someone who is, who has no factors outside of himself uh, that brings about his creation, nor does, nor is he dependent upon any external factors uh, in his, in his existence. And that's an important point as well. Whenever we start getting into the later chapters uh, and start getting into some of the theological and philosophical questions about that. The question is, how can God exist without being vulnerable? How can God exist in, uh, in such a way that we can understand it? Um, and again, uh, we understand that God has no beginning or end. He has, he is not dependent upon anything for his existence. He stands above time. He stands, he stands above what he has done. 
and he is full and complete in himself. Uh, as the Bible reveals, not just as a controlling spirit, as some as a pantheist and panentheist would say, uh, but as a personal being, uh, personal in the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so it, he then reveals himself to us in that way. So the problem of aseity really is, uh, is the, the problem of being or the problem of existence. Uh, and how do we how do we describe that and how do we analogically derive our existence into God and talk about that in a meaningful way that honors God, but at the same time is also is also an affirmation or a comfort to us, uh, a comfort to us as well in his uh, sufficiency. Uh, he says on page 646, God's aseity correlates with his sufficiency the attribute that describes god as the overflowing fountain of all goodness um there is an infinite fullness of goodness and glory in god and he quotes dallas willard god's sufficiency or all sufficiency is his divine fullness by virtue whereof he hath enough in himself to uh, to answer all his own ends uh so another way of saying that is god's sufficiency in his own being is that uh, not only is he complete in himself and full in himself and has existence and, and uh, definition in himself, but he also, uh, out of that existence, whatever he comes or whatever he brings to pass, and particularly his creation, and more particularly us as is created, as is create as those created in his image, his sufficiency says that he has enough for himself and for us as well. Uh, and that's going to be, that's going to be a very important concept going forward, uh, is the fact that out of his, that out of his fullness, out of his sufficiency, uh, that is an aspect of his personality is the fact that he is giving God, he is relational God, not only within the Godhead, but also to us as well. And within that, uh, we trust in his being, uh, in such a way that, uh, out of his out of his fullness and out of his aseity or his lack of, or his lack of dependence on any other, on any other thing or, or factor or impersonal, whatever, in, in order to, to be, he not only is, but he also gives definition to us as well. Uh, so that, uh, in creating us and in putting us in the place, he puts us in the place in the image of God in a responsible position. And so that raises a question then, well, if he puts us in the garden and he knew that Adam and Eve were going to sin, uh, where's the disconnect there? I mean, wasn't he sufficient then to prevent that? And the answer is, yes, he was. Uh, but again, and this is so, I mean, I don't know if we're going to get to it today, but this is so important in the way he talks about, um, he talks about God's relationship with us. And one of those is covenantal. And that is that, that, that gets outside the boundaries of time and space and all that. It really gets into God's revelation of himself to us, uh, in the conditions under which we exist under him. And that is absolutely the power of the law. The power of the law, as Paul says to save, uh, Adam and Eve, uh, uh, Adam and Eve killed that, uh, in the digestive tract of, of eating that fruit. Uh, it's just not possible, but, in his covenant with us and in, in, and in laying out that as, as the, as the framework within which not only do we relate to him, 
but that we also relate to other. I think we get a good thumbnail or really a comprehensive sketch of that in the Ten Commandments, which we divide up into the two tables, the, uh, the first and the second table, our responsibility to God, our responsibilities to man. And so as God lays that out before us in his sufficiency, he gives us actually the covenantal uh, responsibilities we have as, cre as his creation. Uh, and he gives us, I, I liken it to, uh, to giving us the test and giving us the answer key, which, you know, mm -hmm. as, as students, we were all about that. <laughs> Uh, that was always illegal and unethical at the very least when we were in school is you always knew that kid that somehow or another knew the answers. Uh, he got them uh, through whatever way, uh, but freely God in his sufficiency gives us the answer key as he reveals himself progressively in his, in his word. Uh, and more particularly as he begins to give definition of that, not only in his relationship with Abraham, uh, but uh, out of uh, Abraham and his sons, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, you come to the point to where they go into bondage. And then you see another revelation of himself uh, to Moses. And in that sense, then that fully, that fully uh, provides the parameters within which, and within which, uh, within which we exist and in which we have a relationship with him so much so that the sufficiency there is of God. Uh, and so then to, to as some of the objections in later chapters come uh, so the sufficiency there is of god and then having in that covenant given us the the boundaries within which to live and to relate uh the failure then is on us it's not on god so uh that's a way to uh to maintain god's aseity uh that is his absolute independence uh of any person's factors or other or other matters for his existence, while at the same time uh, providing the parameters within, within which whatever he creates, um, as as he says here, uh, he has enough in himself to answer all his own ends. If he calls us to holiness, he's given us, as Peter says in Second Peter one, everything that pertains to life and godliness. Uh, so there's every aspect of that. So that they're not only in terms of in, uh, above time and space and all those considerations. Uh, not only is there that element there where he's unapproachable, but he condescends and makes himself approachable within the parameters, within the parameters of, uh, of, of a covenant. And within that, and within that covenant, there's life. And within that covenant, there's a relationship with him. And, and uh, he is sufficient not only to begin that relationship, but to sustain it to the very end. And he takes upon himself in his covenant with Abraham, that very responsibility. Right, right. So let's uh, let's move on and let's talk about his presence because I know this can be kind of uh, confusing. You, you think about you think about the the children of Israel. They're going through the desert, and we're told uh, really more than just a few times in Scripture because even in the New Testament, you hearken back to this about how God was with His people, and He was in the cloud by day and the fire by night. But then you could ask the question, well. Isn't God everywhere? I mean, wasn't he not only in the cloud and in the fire and wasn't he here and there? What, is there any place he wasn't? And so, uh, again, you know, we're talking about his presence. And like you alluded to earlier, um, 
And, and, and Mike, I want to ask you about this, you know, just to, to sort of talk about these sections Beaky has about God's special presence and his immensity. But Marvin, what you were saying, you were talking about God being with his people covenantally. And I like what Beaky says at the second paragraph on page 650, because he yeah, that, that's exactly what between, that's exactly what I wanted to quote. But yeah, go ahead and quote. Yeah. So he says, we may think of God's presence in three ways. Essentially, the presence of his full being without spatial limitations. And then he says, second, covenantally, the special presence of his self-revealing activity in judgment and salvation. And then he says, the third one is incarnationally, God joined to human nature in the one son of God. The promise of God's gracious presence centers upon the incarnate Lord Jesus as the only mediator of divine grace. So even there, you know, we think about his special presence, because again, you could say, okay, well, well, you had the, the presence of God in the Holy of Holies in the temple, and only the priest could come into the very presence of God, and he could only come with a sacrifice. But then you could ask, but wait a second, isn't God omnipresent? So yeah, of course he's in the Holy of Holies, but isn't he everywhere? But that's the distinction there, right? Talking about special presence. So, so Mike, can you talk a little bit more about that? His special presence, his immensity, uh, these distinguishing qualities and factors here. Uh, okay. <clears throat> well, again, it's been mentioned, the special presence, uh, also referred to as uh, the covenantally. Um, and it's, uh, that's what acts through his... Um, uh, I guess it's, it says uh, God's special pre uh, presence refers to a particular manifestation of his glory when he acts to fulfill his covenant judgment uh, through his covenant through judgment and salvation. And it says it's often referred to in scripture as God's continence or his face. This is dwelling within us. And uh, so, I, I mean, he's with us. And I think what he's, I think what he's trying to say here is there, you know, there, uh, God is, God is with us and, during the, this time, but yet he, uh, because he, he, he always existed because he's, he, um, transcends time, um, that, uh, that he, um, that he's not restricted by the gospel. Uh, he's not restricted to a, a physical building, a, a, a place or location, but that he's, um, uh, that he's with the body of his people. I think that that's a, a distinction. I think that's important. Um, and that we, uh, that we, uh, with our, our, our believing in him, having faith in him, we have union with Christ and then he has tried the triune union with God. I mean, so I, I think that that's, that's an important distinction. I mean, even though, uh, People may say that, it, hey, if he's with us, he can't be others. He, 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 he's not limited. Uh, he's not limited by anything. He is, he is the, the, the creator. He, he caused everything to come into being, so to speak. And so we, we can't put God in a box. Uh, he's uh, with us by his covenant that he promised us. But he's also uh, omnipresent. He, he, he's everywhere because he is the creator. Uh, and I think that's something that was important. Um, and then we have, you know, we have access. I mean, he, he says uh, uh, that, uh, that regarding these, uh, the Christ's blood, uh, Christ's blood sealed um, mediation, we have access to, the, to our Father in one spirit and enter the holy place to obtain mercy and grace through a, uh, the re that union that, that we have uh, with him. And, uh, 
he and we know that scripture tells us going back to scripture it tells us that that the spirit that the holy spirit dwells with us and we have union uh with with christ as our our, our, our mediator so i mean uh, that's the that's the special presence covenantal that uh, throughout the, the if we can read the bible the history is god's plan was uh, the, the, to uh, send Christ and uh, to take on flesh, to be an example for us, perfect example, to, to die on the cross for us, uh, for our sins, to for forget for our, for our uh, redemption of our sins, and uh, that we as a, as His child uh, have responsibility to, to be obedient and to reflect the light and glory in our life, as as we we've talked about in the past. So I think that's a special presence, but his, but his immensity, when we start looking at his omnipresence, his immensity, uh, it, it's there, there's, there's, we can't measure him. There is no way to measure God. You know, we can't put him in a box and say, you know, from this point to this point, no, God always was, God always will be as he was in the past. He is today and tomorrow. Uh, so I think that's special when we start looking at his immensity. We, we can't measure him. And put, and for our human minds, our finite minds to try to limit God, it's not, it's not giving credit to, to the holy God. I mean, we, we need to, when, when we, we look at his immensity, we need to understand our finite being, our finite point in time. And it goes back to what we said earlier. Um, uh, what, what, we, what we know uh, about God is, is, is not what God knows about himself. I, I think he said that in, in one of these chapters as well, which I think was a very good point. And, uh, and when we look at the whole earth as creation, I mean, when we look at the whole earth, God, we see, um, uh, I guess we see God in, in, in his creation, if that makes sense. We, 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 we see that the, the existence of, of a God and, and his creation everywhere. And it's not just at one point in time, uh, and it's, um, I think, I'm not sure if it's in this section, but uh, God, uh, we, it, he starts talking about a discussion about when did time begin? Well, God's not confined by time, restricted by time. Uh, God existed before time, if that makes, uh, that might blow some people's mind, but God existed before time even started. And, and you know, in Genesis, we see where the start of time began. And so, but God's not restricted. He's immense. He's everywhere at all points in time. Uh, he, 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 uh, I, um, he's not, he, he's not, he's not in time. He, he, uh, transcends time. Mm. Uh, and so his immensity, uh, let's see. Yeah. To take it on page 652, taken together God's immensity and omnipresent means that God, all of God is in every place. He indwells creation fully and completely. Uh, so, I mean, it's um, God's being and uh, all God's presence in every place. I mean, so he's every, every place. So we, we just, we can't confine it. I, I guess that's the best way I can, can, can summarize those two sections. All right. Great. Great. Thanks, Mike. Well, why don't we go from, uh, from that hard concept to something that's super easy and let's talk about God's infinity. <laughs> that was sarcastic, <laughs> by the way. Uh, so let's just talk about this. And what I want to do is just basically with, uh, with the rest of this, you know, because time is slipping away from us. Uh, I just want to comment on this and then, and then let's just look at, you know, with, with the excursus where he talks about time and eternity. And then when he talks about in the other chapter, God's immutability, let's just, let's just jump in and, and, and let's just, just address, 
you know, whatever things you want to come. And I've got a couple of things, you know, I kind of wanted to hit as well, but, but just zeroing down on eternity, let me just simply read this couple of things that Beaky says, just to sort of set the table with this. He says on page 660, uh, Whereas every creature has an age that can be counted in years, God's duration cannot be expressed in a number. He is ageless. God's infinity with respect to time is called his eternity. Time and the passing of time are aspects of creation appointed by God, who is therefore the Lord of time. But his nature surpasses all time and is unaffected by time. And then he goes on to say this, uh, given more of a definition on 600 page 663 he says therefore a standard definition of the doctrine of god's eternity is as follows god has no beginning in time no end in time and no succession of moments through time and then at the very bottom he italicizes this he says god's eternity is his lordship over time that exalts him above its limitations and succession of moments for he possesses the infinite fullness of his life as one complete whole. Now, that'll blow your mind, right? Because again, we don't have any categories for this. We were born in time. We have lived our lives according to time. How do we try to not comprehend, but apprehend a being who is over and above and outside of time? That's up for either one of y'all. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> well, um, I think the answer all, all, always ultimately is God revealing himself to us. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I like another place and I can't find it in which he talks about, in which he talks about time as created. It is, uh, uh, he doesn't use these words, but it did remind me of the potter and the clay. It is a medium within which he works. Uh, and he also at one point in here talks about perhaps time is the mode in which humans exist, uh, which again is still a created being, but uh, within within the way that man was created, time really is is a mode within which uh, we we can live uh, and in which we not only exist but we also change. That's the point he makes so often is the fact that even though, and again, we're skipping way over to mutability and that's another discussion, but even though, even though, uh, God does not change, we change. And so in terms of this, uh, and in terms of his, uh, infinity and in terms of, uh, the limitless of his bounds to us, I mean, uh, we change in relationship to that. And so therefore within that, uh, there is uh, there is the aspect of time in which he has given us the medium in which to do that uh, he's given us the minds to, the minds to understand his self-revelation uh, he's given us uh, the will to follow him as it's an energized and empowered after the fall by christ and holy spirit uh, but he also gives us uh, uh, he also gives us there uh, uh, the command to change that's the whole concept of repentance uh, so that God's infinity, his boundless existence beyond time, uh, is indeed the guarantor of, of our repentance. I say that in the sense that uh, repentance leads, leads, to, uh, leads to life. Repentance leads to what God says it will do. Uh, and so 
if if we get into this thing uh, of talking about God has to be vulnerable to us in order for our repentance to be real, in order for his relationship to us to be real, uh, we really have missed the point there altogether. Um, he is well able uh, outside the boundaries, outside the boundaries of time, uh, using time as a created order. He is, uh, he is well within his rights uh, to call us to repentance, to change in relationship to his covenantal presence with us. Uh, but then he's also sufficient, as we said, in, in order to not only to require that, but also to ensure it as well. Uh, and that's the, that really is the whole point of the incarnation, the whole point of mm -hmm. Christ is to, is to take upon himself, uh, still being God, he takes upon himself a human nature, which Beaky rightfully says, and I know we're skipping ahead here, but Beaky rightfully says that the will of Christ is mutable, uh, in his, in his humanity. And it has to be just like ours. It is I'm glad a, you said in his humanity because I was right. Uh, exactly, exactly. <laughs> the caution light went up there. Well, no, whoa, no, whoa. no. Of course, of course, <laughs> and it should. Yeah, but in his humanity, uh, he is mutable. In other words, uh, uh, he changes his mind. His his mind is constantly being, uh, as Paul says in Romans twelve one and two. I mean, it's being transformed by the renewing of the mind. And, um, understanding his humanity. Uh, the writer of Hebrews says uh, Christ learned uh, obedience uh, uh, mm -hmm. through his suffering. Uh, in other words, uh, suffering is the very definition of passibility. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, that's where the word comes from. And, and so, in that, I mean, his his uh, in his in his human nature, he's passable, and and he provides for us the uh, he provides for us the parameter within it's the eternal God uh, as he enters into time remains eternal. Uh, that his purposes and his being uh, uh, being in, in intensely displayed uh, in uh, in an incomprehensible way to us, but yet, as John says in John one, uh, uh, he has exegeted that uh, Christ has exegeted them before us. In other words, he's drawn it out. He's given to us a he's given to us a, a glimpse of the divine glory in that. And it's continuing life of obedience for us and obeying the law. Again, that covenantal restriction. I, I preached on Philippians 2 yesterday, and part of the uh, this important concept, Van, which your radar went up over, is when he, when Paul says in Philippians 2, he emptied himself. <laughs> and that's a whole can of worms there. But that's what it means. I mean, he emptied himself of his divine privilege, and he took upon himself a servant, and in that he uh, he took upon himself the covenant relationship that God made with us as well to fulfill it, but right. he was under and the I, I obligation to fulfill it. And I think that's an important word. You said divine privilege, not his divinity, right? But exactly. his, divine, his divine prerogative. No, I made yeah. I made sure we understood that the divest himself of a, uh, uh, of infinity is a is a heresy. Yeah, and I think they got that point. So, but again, I mean, it is it, it is for us what Adam should have been, and mm -hmm. why Paul calls him the second Adam. Uh, in a sense that we see within God's immensity and his infinity uh, and that uh, uh, un unappro uh, unapproachable or unsearchable riches of his majesty, Paul again and again says that Christ has revealed all those to us and through him, uh, we have unsearchable riches in Christ. Mm -hmm. In other words, <laughs> there again, there's that aspect of him where he reveals himself to us uh, that there is that there is uh in that in covenant with christ there is a, a whole wealth of things 
to be known about God in relationship to him. Now, again, that has nothing to do with his be as a saity and his being in himself. Uh, he still is all that. But again, he has in covenant, he has given us the faithful assurance that in Christ, indeed, not only is there life and not only is there the fulfillment of what he created us for, but there is an abundance or there is now an avenue for us to know God in a new and a fresh way, but which the fall prevented and which our, our sins, uh, our sins uh, prevented us. And by repentance and faith in, in Christ, then we begin to see many of the things that he reveals himself to us. And what we find there is infinity rather than being a limiting concept or that into which God needs to draw himself. It is an intensification of his sufficiency in himself. Uh, I, again, I think Beaky goes on and on, talks about infinity in terms of, uh, not in terms of time, but in terms of the intensification of God's attributes. Mm -hmm. uh, in other words, whenever we talk about his love and when we talk about his wrath, his infinity actually is an amplifier for those. It, 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 it uh, magnifies those. It, it, in our minds, increases the magnitude of those. And I love, again, what he talks about uh, in terms of uh, the justice of God and in terms of, and, and I'm sure we'll get into this in the Christology section as well, but in terms of the infinite value, uh, the infinite worth of, 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 the, uh, of the death of Christ, mm -hmm. that, get, that is our window into the immensity of God's judgment and God's justice. We see it displayed in Christ, but we understand behind that, uh, that there are elements of that, that only eternity will disclose. And which Peter says, uh, th these are things into which angels stoop over and look like a bug in a jar, you know, uh, mm -hmm. that's something that they don't understand. So, uh, I, I think the uh, understanding that in terms of the intensification of what we know about God, I think really is rather than talk about the limitations of what we cannot know, which again is a valid point of this. Uh, and that's his warning against, uh, we can seek, but searchability, uh, searchability uh, has its limits in Christ. Then we get a glimpse of God is revealing himself to us. Uh, and then we also get the promise there again, that, uh, uh, eternity will continue to unfold these things to us. We've talked about this before, and it's a good place to remind us again, as if we talk about the infinity and the immensity of God. Why do we think that even in our redeemed state that we will ever exhaust our knowledge of God? He's immense. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, Absolutely. Uh, and the only one who has that kind of full knowledge of him is the son uh, uh, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so uh, Christ will be, even in heaven, he will be our savior, our redeemer, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, who is indeed uh, the one who brings us in John 14. He says, in my father's house are, are, are many mansions or resting places. He says, I go away, but I come back to receive you that where I am there, you may be also. And so again, even in that, uh, he is our, he is our companion to know. He is our companion to knowing the fullness, to knowing the fullness of the Godhead. We see it displayed as Paul says to the Colossians, we see it displayed in this life. But what we'll see is a, I think uh, is a lifelong learning of that in, in eternity. And that will be the joy of heaven that, uh, even in the new heavens and the earth. I mean, if we, you know, if, if we are called to plant turnips and eat turnips or whatever the case may be, that's not that, heaven. No, no, well, no, 
Oh, no, but the, no, but this would, this would be though, uh, you, you know, you know how it is whenever you do it, whenever you're doing that and your mind just goes to the most, uh, at the very beat, at the very least, the most neutral petty things. Uh, but if you're thinking about it, it sometimes is an amplification for those things, you know, that bug us, uh, relationships gone bad, uh, finances, not what we know in heaven, whenever, whenever, whenever we're planning turnips or whatever we're doing there, our mind is, our mind is occupied. It's drawn away, not to the drudgery of the work, but to the, but to the immensity and the glory of the God who gave us the command to do it and gave us eternal life in order to fulfill that command. And, uh, I think it's a mm-hmm. wonderful God. And I think, uh, again, Peaky does a wonderful job of drawing out the pastoral implications of these, of these doctrines. Again, as Mike says, within the parameters of what scripture tells us. Again, right. if we, if we rest by faith within those, uh, then we will not be disappointed. We will not, as Paul says to the Romans, we will not be ashamed of yeah, the gospel yeah. that's revealed to us. Yeah. And just, and just so side note, I got no problem with the planting of the turnips. It's the eating. You said planting and eating. Oh man. <laughs> Call me brother. Call me. Bro. I, hope, <laughs> I hope my, I hope my place is right next to yours. Maybe in heaven turnips would taste like steak. Or, or chocolate milkshakes or something like that. Anyway, Mike, brother, you look like you were chomping at the bit to get. Well, some- I guess the only thing yeah, when yeah. I was reading this this particular, and Marvin hit on it when it you know it talks you know God is unchangeable, but yet it gets to the part with the humanity of Christ. You know, uh, uh, Christ is man that he did change, but he changed the aspect. He 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 grew in stature. He grew in yeah. favor with the Lord. Yeah, in the normal way that we do, yeah. Yeah, normal mm-hmm. way we do, but but the distinction between us and him is that he was he he led a perfect sinless life, is 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 to be an example for us, uh, and and then as you meant, uh, mentioned uh, Marvin, then to go on and, and to be you know the the uh, the spotless lamb who who was uh, who who became our mediator with us between God and between him and and the and, and God. So I was, I was really, that, that really, when I was reading that, I, I, I had never thought of it in that aspect. I always thought, you know, unchangeable, but yet Christ did, but Christ did that in such that he was the perfect example for us uh, as far as uh, uh, living without sin. And we can never reach that, but that's, that's why we have Christ, you know, is to be, to be our mediator, to be our, 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 uh, our, uh, uh, our intercessor, to, 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 to be our, our, our uh, uh, what word am I looking for? Uh, to be that perfect lamb, to be the mediator, to be to be the one that that go that, that mediates for the Father with us to for our forgiveness, of, uh, the sins that we have through His shed blood. And I just think that was a good description. And I I yeah. never thought of it in that aspect with Christ. I well, always look at that. Yeah. Well, I to follow on that, Mike. I think that's a good point. I, I guess again, and we'll get into this in the section of Christology. I'm sure. Uh, he's a mediator in life, but in eternity, is he also a mediator of the father to us as well there? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and again, I, I think if we, uh, again, if we take what the Bible reveals of that, even though it's incomplete and sometimes it's foggy, I, I would say he's always a mediator to us, even in heaven. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Well, listen, uh, we're, we're quickly running we, out of time. We are, we're, aren't we? I mean, I'm looking gonna... at yeah, as old Porter used to say, the old clock on the wall is caught up with us. <laughs> yeah, we're definitely not going to get a chance to to get into this slot, but I did want to touch on it. On page six seventy nine, he talks about God's temporal activity. Uh, so, how do we combine, you know, thinking our thoughts about a, a God 
the one true God, almighty God, who is above and outside of time. He has created time or he has created us within this mechanism of time, but yet a God who acts within time. And Beaky says here, he says, we acknowledge that there's no denying that the Bible portrays God as present and active in time. We're not arguing, and neither did Reformed Orthodox theologians argue for a doctrine of eternal being unrelated to time and incapable of dealing with temporal events as temporal, as Richard Mueller incisively observed. On the contrary, time could not exist without God's eternity, and the flow of history depends every moment upon the everlasting God. Even if we cannot fully understand how an eternal God could act upon things within time, our lack of understanding does not mean it is not so. Who can understand the creation of the world out of nothing? And then he says, the Bible also reveals God is active in time, yet transcending time. And he talked about this before, you know, in Peter, where um, where it says that, you know, a thousand years is a day with God, a day is as, as a thousand years. And, uh, and, and I love what he says at the bottom. He says, creatures move through time day by day, but God accesses long eras all at once, a thousand years or as a day, and attends to brief times with epic leisure. A day is as a thousand years. So, you know, as we, and Mike, you talked a lot of, about this as, you know, we're to submit to how God has revealed himself in scripture. And here, even though we can't answer all the questions, obviously about how God relates to time and, and how he stands outside of time. You know, even there we're told, okay, where you have a thousand years, God can look at that. And and like Beaky says, the word access, he could access, he, he could see and know, you know, everything that happens in that, you know, in a moment, like in a day, or he can take a day to look at, uh, uh, he can take a, a thousand years to look at a day or a day to look at a thousand years. And, and the way Beaky broke that out with, uh, with the leisurely time of taking a thousand years to look at a day, I think Beaky said, it'd be like taking a year to look at four seconds out of the day, or mm-hmm. he, he did the computation somehow. He did the so math. Yeah. So, so all that to. just to say that he, uh, that, that, you know, as he is active in time, he is outside of time and he transcends time, but yet he's not frozen, you know, outside of time. And, and, you know, the, 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 the scripture that always kind of helps me out with this is where in revelation, it talks about the lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. Now that was an event that was going to happen in time. In fact, all of redemptive history is leading up to it. And then you have Christ you know, laying down his life. And then everything after that is the word of God pointing back to that and basically expositing that and teaching us, you know, what that meant. But again, as God views it there in revelation, he views Christ before time began as already slain for sinners. So can y'all just talk about that, the relationship of God and time and his activity in time? Well, let me, let me say this and I'll try to be brief about it. Um, I think a lot of the problems we see with this idea of God being in time uh, is not a denial that God can enter in at time. It's that it's, it's the assertion that when God enters into, into time uh, and particularly you see this in the German theologians around, well, around the time, a little bit before uh, contemporary and, and after Karl Barth, but again, a lot of the, a lot of the German theologians, they're coming, both Jewish and Christian, they're coming to grips with the with the aspect, again, which is more real in Europe, 
that they've now gone through two massive world wars that have that have killed millions of their population, uh, that have destroyed basically uh, buildings that have stood for millennia, uh, in some cases millennia, but certainly for centuries. Uh, and in all this, and then they ask the question, okay, if God enters time there uh, and he sees this, why is he not moved to action on, on this? Uh, what does this tell us about God that having entered into time with us, he seems to be impassable. In other words, he seems to be unmoved by this, uh, that if he really cared about this, uh, that he would do something about it. And again, this is the larger, and I, we didn't get to the section on impassibility, but we will deal with this, I think, with this question more acutely in our next set of readings, because the part two of impassibility gets into the theological issues there. But I think this is the whole crux within a lot, within a lot of the uh, modern theological mind about God and time uh, is this idea, uh, where was God went, and dot, 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 mm-hmm. in the sec- at the end of the Second World War where was God in the, in the, in the rise of Adolf Hitler? Where was the, uh, where was the rise of God in the Kaiser? Where was the, where was God whenever Princep Yusef or whatever his name was shot the, you know, the Serbian King or whatever Archduke, Archduke or whatever uh, that began that where, where was God in all this? Could he not have, have stopped that? And Van, this is gets, I think to your point uh, in the fact that this is where time as a created thing has to be viewed in terms of covenant, this thousand year day kind of thing. That's the, exactly the point that Peter is making to those who are scoffing at that is the fact uh, that you're too short sighted. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're, you're burrowing down and getting upset about one matter uh, without understanding that it can be, and often is within the greater flow of what God is doing on a vaster level. Uh, in other words, if he's the Lord of history, then this is a, then this is just a, 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 a tidy point within what God is doing. Now the master sweeps of history. Do we know what he's doing? No. But one thing we do know is that as far as the church is concerned, we do know what he's doing with the church. Mm-hmm. And so these, and that's the point Peter makes as well is in the master sweeps, uh, God is uh, carrying out his will and righteousness through his people. And as such, then not, not only is our affirmation, but also our confidence as well. Right. I've got a second win here because my lovely wife came and filled my coffee cup outside uh, the side of the camera here. <laughs> that's dangerous. He's getting charged up again. I am babe, just in time to quit. Yeah. Well, I guess, well, uh, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll add on to what Margaret uh, add on to what he said uh, for my reading and understanding, you know, where, you know, where was guy ball this happened? But I mean, he, again, he, he, and, 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 in time, I guess he at a particular point in time, maybe when we're at our lowest, uh, I don't know if this is the right word, but he he that finite time span that we exist in, he comes into that uh, to to um, to reveal himself to us, to show his grace, his mercy, his love, uh, and 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 what he has done for us in Christ. And it's a it's a trial, a test. That we we should go goes back to James. I mean, we should be uh, looking at these times of of trials or testing or hardships uh, with joy, uh, uh, joy that for the for for what what we have in our hope of, of, of in the in the future, our future hope, our future joy. We should, we should look at all trials as as a way that yeah. we're being prepared 
for our future hope. Right. Yeah, and look and, and look again how it, it, both Old Testament and New Testament, uh, how often the discussion goes back to what God did delivering his people out of Israel. There's this constant reminder of God in order to elevate our minds from the present yep. uh, to talk about the past in terms of look what God has done. You're here because God delivered the people there. Now, it doesn't seem significant to you, but it is It is significant. You even get shades of that in, in Revelation as well. And that uh, Exodus uh, motif is powerful, is powerful without, within, within Revelation as well. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And then to what Mike said, yeah, we, we can have a sure confidence in that because we know that God who holds our hope is not going to change. He's going to be there. And, and in a sense, he's already there. It's already as if, you know, we're there and we're glorified, you know, in the mind of Christ. Again, when you can look at his son slain before the foundation of the world, all of the process, everything that has been done, all that has been won for us, you know, in, in the mind and the purview of God. And again, we can't understand it, but it's all just an eternal now, you know, to him as he exactly. sees that. And it has all been accomplished and, and we, it's, we can take it to the bank. We know we have a, a sure hope with him. Exactly. So, that, uh, that raises a whole nother level of questions about God's eternal now, but yeah. that'll have to, that'll have to settle for another day. Yeah. So there's so much that we did not get to say on this, but if you want to read a lot of it, get this big thing that's not got good glue in it crossway you need to do a little bit better i know the president and all of them are, are listening to us so uh yeah so i uh, get this uh chapters 34 35 the excursus and then chapter 36 you get a lot more on this and 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 it just makes us just bow to the lord uh, he is so you know not to not to use the word we've been using but immense right. he's so high he's so lifted up and you really see your, your creaturely status in this when you start to look at these big, huge things that really our minds are just sort of grasping at the little bits we can we can get. God has revealed himself to us in those aspects of revelation we're trying to grab a hold of. God in his common grace has given us some things like, like philosophy, where we have certain categories and things that help us kind of put those things together. But at the end of the day, we just have to bow the knee and say, and say, this is who God has said that he is, even though I can't understand it all. I confess and proclaim this is who God is as he's revealed himself in his word. Amen. All right. Well, why don't we get out of here? Mike, would you mind closing us in prayer and praising God for the God that he is, brother? Sure, sure. Right. Hey, can, can I say something before I, I sure. go into prayer? You know, uh, going through these sections and the previous sections that we, we discussed, I mean, when we look at uh, this, you know, his infinity, uh, how we, we can't understand his being, his sufficiency, his immensity, and, and uh, his immutability and infinity. I mean, when you look at all that stuff and you start really reading and considering it, one thought went through my mind uh, is if in, 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 for an individual, if they, they believe in God and accept all this, how can you, how can an individual that believes and says he believes in God, how can one reject that God's not sovereign? Mm -hmm. I mean, that, that, that just went through my mind because I had, I've been in some, some discussions with individuals. It was on my travel when I was traveling from Virginia across to uh, Missouri, talked to individuals. And they, don't, they just, when you, you get into the sovereignty of God, they don't, they don't believe in the sovereignty of God. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, it's the very foundation for this, though. If God's not Absolutely. sovereign, 
if not yeah. God's not if God's not sovereign, then none of this makes sense. Yeah, he has to be. He has to be because he's God. He has to be able yeah. to use uh, in his infinite or in all his attributes. He has to be able to be again using the analogy of the potter and the clay. Yeah, <laughs> you've got to give him that. Yeah, <laughs> otherwise, yeah. otherwise, this makes no difference. Makes yeah. no sense. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Absolutely. Okay, so I'll, uh, we're ready for prayer. I'll, I'll... Go ahead, brother. Go. Okay. Heavenly Father, we thank you for just the, uh, the beauty of this day, Lord. We thank you for uh, just this, the privilege of being able to come together using technology to do this, Lord. Uh, Father, we thank you for who you are, our, our Heavenly Father, and to which we owe you our, our obedience, uh, our praise, our glory, our worship. Uh, Lord, uh, as we have studied here, Lord, we just uh, we we as a, as a finite being uh, only know a small fraction about you. We, uh, you. What we know about you is not what you know about yourself. Uh, just your immensity, your immutability. Uh, it's just it's we cannot fathom. And it just for for us, it just uh, it, it, it reveals to us the, the greatness uh, and the, the majesty and the holiness of who you are. And Lord, as we approach you, may we remember that that when that when we approach you, we need to approach you with reverence and respect uh, for uh, for for all these 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 things we've discussed here today, Lord. Um, and you are um, a most holy and, and unchangeable God, Lord, who we who we thank for thank for what you have done for us. You that you have provided a a means for us to come to you. You have called us uh, and. And brought us into your family, and Lord, may we, as we have discussed these, Lord, uh, may we uh, continue to stay in your word and use your word um, to uh, to to gain additional knowledge of you. We I pray that as we read and study and come to you in prayer, that you would reveal more of your truth and your word to us, give us a better, uh, just not knowledge, but a better understanding of the truths of your word and how we can apply them to our lives. Lord, I thank you for again for this time. I thank you for just the the uh, uplifting of your name and your glory we have uh, presented uh, and talked and discussed. Uh, Lord, may we may we be salt and light as we pursue our activities today. Lord, we look forward to uh, our our day of, of of prayer this morning. We look forward to just uh, living as an example and, and and witnessing to those we come into contact with. Of, about who you are and the difference you have made in our lives. For it's in your name, I pray. Amen. Amen, brothers. Well, thank y'all so much. And as Mike prayed, uh, let's go out and have a good day and seek to glorify the Lord in it. Okay. Amen. All right. Y'all have a good day. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.